0: I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. So welcome back aboard the Starship, Texas, for the 83rd installment of the Tex Trek podcast. And tonight we are talking about Star Trek Beyond, our
1: final Star Trek movie. We made it to the end of the marathon, and now we can all go die until Quentin Tarantino resurrects us (laughs) in a (laughs) swear-filled Star Trek fest. Uh, Then we'll have to do a swear-filled podcast. Oh man, yeah. Uh, We we can fucking handle that, I think. Yeah, Yeah, but let's get high on heroin, too. (laughs) He says it's going to be Pulp Fiction in space.
0: And yeah, we can have like some esoteric music plan and. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, we're hitting Star Trek beyond the, uh, the one where uh, a lot of people feel that the series kind of, um, I don't know, lived up to the expectations they had or, you know, did it, did it right. I guess if it has to end.
0: This is a, this this is pretty is a, good one. a popular one. Um, sadly, it didn't gross as much as the previous two Kelvin Timeline movies. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was a bit but, of a heartbreak for me because that was at the point where I had started to come back around. <laughs> and so I saw this and I was like, I really liked it. Or at least I liked it pretty well and then didn't do great. And we had a different creative
0: team behind the scenes. JJ was still involved in a producer role, but uh, this movie was written by Simon Pegg, who plays Scotty in these movies, Mm -hmm. and also... uh, Okay, I was going to say, not just him. uh, Yeah, and it was co-written between him and Doug Jung, who ends up playing uh, Sulu's husband. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it was directed by Justin Lin, who uh, might be known for at least one of the Fast and Furious movies. I think he did a few of them. But, yeah, I, I think
2: you yeah. might be right. Yes, he did more than one, and which I think is, he produced on a bunch of the some of the others. As okay, well.
1: it's so, a it's a bit of an odd I fit, think. you would think, for a uh, Star Trek movie, but maybe
2: not these ones. Not if you, yeah, not if you've seen the Kelvin films. <laughs> but,
1: but the reason I was excited for this when it was coming out was, of course, that Simon Pegg was saying, and other a few other key people were saying that they wanted to, do, to feel a bit more like a classic Star Trek episode, that they would be trying to bring some of that classic Trek ethos. In and maybe maybe a little bit in in favor of the summer blockbuster
2: style, and also Simon Pegg is known for trying to appeal to the nerd community rather than the masses. Yeah. So right. in his films, for for more on that, watch the show Spaced,
0: which he starred in and also uh, wrote. Spaced all of? is a am- or I,
2: I, he was it, it, at at certainly the show, the show, effectively the showrunner. If nothing else, so. I think
1: we all agree. Uh, yeah, Spaced is super hilarious. Uh, Tons of great geek references, like every nerdy person should I think see it's it. my
2: favorite sitcom oh, of all time is spaced. Yes, I can't say enough yeah.
0: good It's also good. from like twenty years ago, so if you're nostalgic for like that <laughs> late nineties, early twenty uh, first century time period, yeah. like some uh, of us might be. Yeah. <laughs> then then check it out. Yes. was well, a nice little advertisement we worked in <laughs> for you, Simon Pegg. Um, But the uh, the news that th- this movie was going to have a different director came out pretty soon after... Actually, before Star Trek Into Darkness even hit theaters, they had already announced that J.J. Abrams was going to go make this new Star Wars movie for Disney. And I was kind of mad about that. I wanted him to stick around on Star Trek. I like Star Trek 09 enough that... I thought he
2: should stay. You're like, finish your and work, sir. I I, uh, just, I was fine with getting I, some new person to try to I, take a stab at the Kelvinverse. <laughs> I I don't want to talk too much about like the other Star
0: franchise that much, but w- let me just say that I was not a fan of the Disney purchase and making additional Star Wars movies. When uh, at the time I felt there was only three good ones, and there would never be any more good Star Wars movies, and so I thought. Uh, J.J. was going to make a Star Wars movie I didn't want when I would have preferred a sequel to Star Trek in the Darkness. And then when they gave it to a guy from the Fast and Furious franchise, which, to be fair, I've never seen a movie of, but I've seen trailers for those movies. They never looked <laughs> appealing to me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be, like, a stupid-ass movie that has nothing to do with, with the, the Star Trek values that I appreciate, and I was... Very pessimistic going into this.
2: The Spaced and the Furious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I when I went in, I was desperate for this to be good because there'd been nothing but these movies and this was the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Yeah, 2016. I, yep. I went and bought the pin and everything. And I was so and nobody cared nobody cared that it was the 50th anniversary i was like this movie's all i've got to celebrate that please be good and uh i i I followed like oh simon Pegg's pretty good and simon Pegg knows star trek he's a big nerd so that that's promising and oh apparently justin lynn is also a big trekkie that's also promising despite my worries about this fast and the furious stuff so i was i really was praying that this would be good um and I was quite pleased. I was like, yes! That was great! I wasn't maybe the, the big nostalgia fest I wanted for the 50th anniversary, but it was absolutely a good Star Trek movie, and I saw it four times in the theater. Oh, wow. So
0: we, we should talk about like going into this. Originally, it was going to be uh, Robert, uh, Roberto Orsi, yes. who had uh, co-written the previous two movies, was going to write and direct the third Kelvin film, and then
2: that got canceled for whatever reason. It was a bad script problem or lack of confidence in him. I don't know if it was his script or his directing ability. He he wrote a script and then it was so bad. He was like, what the hell? I can't direct this. I quit. Or or whatever
0: happened. Simon Pegg
2: said he never got to see the other script when they sat down to make the new one.
0: Yeah. It was kind of like at the last minute that like Simon (laughs) Pegg uh,
2: was like, oh, I know how to write. And then he teamed up with this guy, Doug Jung and. Yeah. Well, I think it was Justin Lin was hired, and Justin looked around and said, I need a script writer, and said, Well, we've already hired you. How about you? You know, you're a big <laughs> nerd who loves Star Trek yeah, and can... has written scripts for movies that made a lot of money. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. The... <laughs> you, you can write stuff, you know, Star Trek, get to work. Yeah. And, you know, what kind of Star Trek fan is going to say, no, I'm not going to write a Star Trek script. That's a a
1: pretty big dream job kind of thing. Uh, When when this was coming up that uh, I was excited because I thought the director might fit the style of these movies. And and I had watched at least a few Fast and Furious movies at that point. And then, yeah, Simon Pegg uh, on board meant uh, the possibility of a script that would be more to my liking. So I was kind of on board. Yeah. And I, I had an interesting reaction to first seeing this movie back in
0: 2016. So I actually walked out of the theater a little disappointed, mm-hmm. and I had to see it again to actually uh, figure out that no, this is actually pretty good, and I can I can understand why people are digging this movie. And uh, why didn't you
1: like it? Well, Sabotage. Th-
0: I didn't I didn't like that the first time. I didn't like some of the like i some some of the stuff in here. And it sounds kind of lame to say now, but I thought they were kind of like breaking the canon. I couldn't make it fit into my twenty third century. Of what I knew from the prime timeline, and but but this movie actually helped me by getting over a lot of the stuff here. It made it a lot easier for me to accept the things in Star Trek Discovery.
1: And is, that a, is that a real complimentary point, or are we saying that it made it was like bad enough well, that it made us okay with some? No, bad things I, I don't. On Discovery.
0: I don't think it was bad. I just thought it. Uh, I, I I needed the push to like get out of my. To, you know, break the mold a little bit for what I thought the 23rd century had to look like. In addition to that, um, there's a bunch of stuff in Star Trek 09 that I think I objected to, but I was also following the production of that movie much more closely back in 2008 and 2009. And I was seeing a bunch of the stuff, you know, pictures online and like reading interviews with the writers and director and actors. And um, I, I mentioned two weeks ago when we talked about Star Trek 09, that stuff kind of helped prepare me for a movie that had some stuff in it I don't really like, but also has stuff in it that I really like, and Mm -hmm. I kind of, like, got over the things I disliked before I even went into the theater. Um, I kind of changed my movie viewing habits to where by the time we get to Star Trek Beyond in 2016, I've become a much more spoiler-phobic person, and I stop watching trailers after I decide I'm going to go see a movie, and the trailer for this movie that I did see, I I really disliked, but... Mm -hmm. Um, I, I still went in kind of generous when it started getting good reviews, but a bunch of the stuff I saw in here, it just really rubbed me the wrong way when I saw like how the Universal Translator works and some of the stuff with like, loved how the Universal Translator works. How like. The uh, only
2: time it's ever been done right (laughs) in the history of Star Trek. uh, we, We can get
0: into that later, but also like. Like, trying to be to, continued <laughs> try, trying to explain the uss franklin it's like the first warp 4 ship but they said it was came from like the 2260s which would have been after the warp 5 ship but it has a higher registry now like just like i i, I think like some of it's kind of like dumb fanboyish canonical stuff the but if i had been paying more attention to the movie going in i think i could have gotten over some of that shit before i saw the movie Um, but that's not really how I watch movies anymore. I didn't do that, but now that I've watched the movie a couple of times, I've been able to reconcile a lot of that stuff, and it kind of prepared me for how I watch Star Trek Discovery and how I'm sure I'll watch Picard and Section Thirty-One and Lower Decks and all this new Star Trek we're gonna get now. Take a shot and then all right, let's do this. Yeah, it'll right. <laughs> you know, be a little bit fast and loose. <laughs> you know, and if, if it breaks my head cannon, it's okay. Let me sleep on it and then I'll be able to no prize it the next yes. day and and I'll feel better. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, and this just came from a fathery who hadn't been used to getting a lot of Star Trek after the cancellation of Enterprise. So I had mm-hmm. I had to to relearn how to except things that might might
1: violate how Star Trek exists in my mind. Yeah, it's weird. We had so little; you'd think we'd have been like just ecstatic over it. But at the same time, it like just made you almost all the more critical. That's a,
2: mm-hmm. that's a fanish mentality, though. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I, I won't deny that I subscribe to. See, mm-hmm. I think Beyond feels more like it, it might. It feels just as much like classic Trek as Discovery does, which is to say, both feel fairly different. But but uh, from what we think of as nineties Berman era Trek, but. I thought this got as cl- easily as close as Discovery did, um, uh, as far as feeling like that. I mean, it has maybe even a no. more ridiculous budget. This already. this might be the most TOS ish movie, yeah. Ever. Yes, absolutely. Um, more TOS than I, Star Trek one or two or three. Or yeah. The
1: weird thing is, on my revisit, I didn't feel that as strongly as I used to. Like, I felt like it still felt like the big budget movie sort of plot that you know the Enterprise gets wrecked. Um, we don't quite. There, there's not the sort of the moral conundrum that, that I would expect uh, there's from a, a doomsday TOS. machine. Uh, what's that? There, there's a doomsday device that's gonna. Right, right. Uh, not yeah. If it was if there was a doomsday machine, it would feel more like TOS. <laughs> um, but a doomsday device, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it. Like I felt like they didn't struggle with the moral conundrum throughout, and it was more of a kind of I um, uh, I don't know, almost like a uh, the plot that I would expect from. Uh, like like in superheroes or comic books, where you where the team splits off into its different component groups,
0: we're kind of uh, like Empire Strikes Back. To, I didn't want to talk about the other Star franchise too much, but you know <laughs> we're like you have like the 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 cast that you've been introduced to. Now you split them up. Or like X Men Two did yeah. that as well. Yeah, well, they
2: yeah they. Whereas the first two Kelvin films. Have loads of superficial Star Trekiness all over. Oh look, a Tribble. Oh look, dialogue from Star Trek Two. Oh mm-hmm. look, where uh, they went to Delta Vega. Only it doesn't look anything. It's like a different Delta, Delta, Delta Vega. Vega. Yeah, different Delta Vega, but they still use the term Delta Vega.
0: Actually, the Mike Johnson comics. Yeah. That I've, I've mentioned the comics yeah. in every. Kelvin movie podcast duck. Yeah. but they actually explained that this is a, that was a different Delta
2: Vega. Yeah. Yeah. It a, has Delta. to be, but, but, um, here so they, it is but this feels less superficial to me. Well, yeah. What here they, they get rid of the Enterprise. They, 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 they strip away a whole bunch of those superficial things to try to get a little more at what the heart of Star Trek is. Mm-hmm. And it's this crew and it's this family and, and it's this don't leave anyone behind and, and it's this unity is strength and 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 uh, isolationism and 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 tribalism is is bad and they they there's this deliberate attempt to try to yeah peel back all that superficial stuff and try to find the heart of Star Trek. I'm not sure if it's anywhere near as successful as it could be, but I really appreciate the attempt. Fair enough. Father, you want to hit us with the uh with the plotline stuff and then we'll do
1: the deep dive.
0: Sure, so we're going to go ahead and engage our transwarp summary, in which I will summarize this entire movie, in case you haven't seen it in a while, which, if you've seen this movie at all, it had to have been within the last three years. Uh, but, right. <laughs> uh, but in case you're, like, really drunk or something and don't remember it, I will help you recollect the events of this movie.
1: Alright, let's punch it.
0: We start off three years into the Enterprise's five-year mission of exploration. We open the movie with Kirk in the middle of some diplomacy with some silly CGI aliens, and it doesn't really work out for Captain Kirk, but it ends up with Kirk beaming back to the Enterprise with an ancient artifact, a part of a great weapon. The Enterprise then makes her way to Yorktown Station, a massive starbase that is the home to people from all over the Federation. The Enterprise docks at the station for a temporary stay, but shortly after the crew arrive, so does an un would ship containing an alien woman named Kalara. She says that she was part of a ship which crashed on a planet in a nearby nebula. Kirk and the Enterprise go into the uncharted nebula to help her rescue her crew, but the Enterprise is destroyed by a swarm of little insect-like attack ships. The crew crash on the planet Ultimed, where most of the crew are taken prisoner by the monstrous Krall, who is seeking the artifact from the opening of the movie. But Kirk, Chekhov, Spock, Dr. McCoy, and Scotty all manage to avoid capture and meet up with this cool alien chick named Jayla. Jayla has been living on the planet in the remains of a crashed Federation ship, the USS Franklin, which has been lost for 100 years. Together, they manage to rescue the rest of the crew, but unfortunately, Crawl obtains the artifact. It is one half of the Abranath, a weapon that releases black CGI cloud shit (laughs) that eats people alive. And Crawl is going to attack Yorktown Station itself. So Kirk and the crew get the Franklin flying, use Beastie Boys music to scramble the signal of the Swarm ships, and reach Gorktown Station, where Kirk confronts Crawl. Crawl has started to take on a much more human look. We learn that Crawl was actually Balthazar Edison, the former captain of the Franklin, who felt abandoned by the Federation when he was left on Altamid after his ship crashed, and now he is disgusted by the Federation ...and humans holding hands with aliens from all over the galaxy. He wants to kill everyone at Yorktown to send a message to the rest of humanity. Luckily, Kirk is able to stop Kral from committing genocide... ...and ejects him out into space where he is killed by the Aberdath. The heroes celebrate their victory by having a birthday party for Captain Kirk... ...and a new enterprise is built. They can then continue their mission of exploration on the Enterprise 1701A to boldly go where no one has gone before and hopefully return in another sequel someday, maybe. (laughs) The end.
1: It's not quite the uh, perfect ending you might wish for a trilogy, but um, it did actually... I remember walking away from it, I felt like if this is it, that's a solid trilogy. That's how I
0: feel. If this is the last Kelvin movie, I, I think this is a very satisfactory way to wrap things up.
2: But I wouldn't mind another one. Yeah, I, I I felt like it wasn't quite the movie I wanted for the 50th anniversary, but I also said it is the best Star Trek movie in 25 years, mm-hmm. which the last one was the 25th anniversary movie, Star Trek VI, which is superior to this one. But you have to go all the way back to then before you hit one that's superior mm-hmm. to Beyond, I, in my opinion. I would put First Contact over this. I like, uh, I like this better. I
0: kind of like Contact. I kind of like Star Trek like. I think this might be, like, a, a, a better movie and a better Star Trek movie, but I kind of enjoy watching Star Trek 09.
2: It's just, like, I,
0: I have the better emotional experience watching Star Trek 09 than I do watching
2: this. I will say, this is shifts a little bit more to the thoughtful sci-fi. It does. A little bit. And we lose some of that emotional kick. Justin Lin gives us a more intelligent Star Trek, but it doesn't pull the emotions as well as J.J. Abrams does. Also... Um, I think JJ's script was a little sharper as far as the dialogue goes. There's more quotable moments. Mm-hmm. Beyond is completely functional. You never feel they're acting out of character, but lovable little setup, punchline, setup, punchline stuff that JJ's scripts have. There's not as much of that in this movie. I think so. there's some some humorous moments.
1: I'm going yes, to quote one right now that okay. I wrote down that I liked. Okay, okay. this is a, this is a uh, Spock McCoy situation with the uh, where they're trying to find the rest of the group. The horse shit. So you gave your girlfriend a tracking oh. device. Yes.
2: That is the be- Amazing. That and is Spock
1: a- is like. That was not my intention.
2: Yes. (laughs) And
1: McCoy is like, I'm glad he
2: doesn't respect me. (laughs) See, the thing was, is when they did that sequence, I realized there were moments like that all over the two JJ films that I, and that this one stood out because I hadn't had as many moments like that in this film.
0: There was also like the, the horseshit moment. There was, um, Mm -hmm. I like when Chekhov is asking Kirk, oh, when did you suspect her? Not soon enough. But yeah, how did you know I have a nose for danger? And Then they they walk right into a
1: trap. Then <laughs> uh, Scotty walks into a bulkhead. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little that was a little bit goofy for uh, me. No. That particular setup punchline is not one that I, I love. But
2: it, it makes sense it that made, Kirk would walk into that sort of trap, it does, whereas does, it doesn't yeah. make sense that Scotty would walk into. It does. That. Agreed. Agreed. One hundred percent agreed. <laughs> um,
1: so uh, this this actually sort of I can segue into, um after the opening bit with the aliens, which is goofy, yeah, but, but I will say this: Maxi Kirk is, um, even though he's stumbling through it, he is trying in this one. He's trying to make it work. It's the aliens that are that are being a little. Uh, butt I can heads. actually,
0: I can picture Shatner Kirk from the original series. Trying to deal with these obnoxious,
2: stupid see, see, for me, cartoon aliens. I feel like Shatner Kirk would have handled that situation better. It's the one place where I feel Chris Pine doesn't quite live up to the name of Kirk. Is that he's like, well, uh, this is supposed to be important and you don't want he's it. He's like and, a jock uh, trying to uh, give a uh, uh,
1: book report yes. that, he's, that is over his head. Whereas Sh- Kirk actually could...
2: Shatner Kirk.
1: Yeah, Shatner Kirk is a guy who could give a speech that was meaningful. Who could talk to Mirror Kirk and... And and give a convincing a mirror, yeah. mirror Spock. Give a convincing reason why
2: it was wasteful to live in yeah. evilness. Shatner Kirk never comes off. Shatner Kirk never comes off as a jock trying to give a book report. Right. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, but there's also moments where just people like just aren't listening to Kirk. Like when yeah. he's talking to the kids in Miri and he's like, "No bonk
2: bonk on the head." And, yes. You know, <laughs> yes. Like, but but he's still in control. Sure, yeah, I guess. Chris Pine's like Eb, uh, uh you know. Uh, anyways, like I I do think that is one
0: of the weaker moments of the movie. But, yeah. uh, but but
1: I mentioned it as a segue into the the immediate serious opening when it goes to it. Uh, when you're hearing Kirk's log uh, and he's talking about being three years in and they're having this kind of experiencing this sort of melancholy, I
2: I hesitate to say ennui, but that is what he's experiencing. Which is why you need that weak opening. If you'd opened with this awesome action sequence... Like, then you like can't, the last two movies? Yes. Then you can't have Kirk saying, uh, life's not as exciting as I want it to be. Yeah, you kind
0: of need to have him, like, not be on top. Like, yes. you need to see him, like, struggle with something and kind of lose. Right. Which is a tricky thing to do. In with, an
2: embarrassing way. Lose in an yeah, embarrassing
0: way. It's a tricky <laughs> thing to do when you're, you're introducing your, your hero of the movie, yeah. which we haven't seen in three years. Yeah. Uh, they also have, like, that little gag in there where he says he ripped his shirt again. Of course, <laughs> a callback to the. Yeah. frequent shirt rippings that happened in TOS <laughs> and when I watch that now I think like Dave probably doesn't like that because it's kind of a fourth wall break and he hates
1: that type of shit it's true but it's it's, 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 it. it's minor it's minor oh, like I like i am just like a little part of me is like eh. I also didn't like when he says things are starting to feel a little too episodic yeah, around I here. know I can't enjoy any of that stuff now because I'm always like ah, Dave hates that <laughs> I don't feel like I should have wow. that much. I don't feel like I should be intruding on you that much. It's not. It's not so much that you're intruding on me, but it's you're like, like Dave's gonna whine about he this. Really yeah, cares like, about you. It's That's like what he's oh,
0: saying. it's like when we podcast about it. I'm gonna have to listen to Dave bitch about this. <laughs>
1: no, I, no, I, I did want to say like in that same uh, ship's log, uh, there, there's something. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, uh, there was one bit I like where he's wondering what they're actually trying to accomplish out there, if indeed space is infinite. And that is something of a meta yes. commentary too. That might talk about like either the directionlessness of the movies, or just them not, you know, like Star Trek always being kind of questing. And that was a meta comment that was a little more subtle that I liked. I never thought of that as being meta, but I thought it was it's an- lightly meta at least. It was interesting philosophical
0: point to be like Which... uh, the, this. This exploration does start to feel
2: pointless because. There's always going to be more to explore. Always more episodes. But it does tie in with what they've said in I think the next generation about the 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 improvement of yourself whether or not you succeed the the quest is its own reward. It right. is is we're never we're, going to become the perfect human but it, it's the qu- the journey. That's TNG philosophy. In, they're not there yet, but, no, but yeah. Well, that's the
1: point. Star, Kirk's Star not Voyager, there.
0: Star Trek Voyager does that too. Yeah. That when Harry Kim has that toast to the
2: to the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you know, the answer is in the Star. T- the question Kirk asks at the beginning of the movie is an answer that is baked into Star Trek, which I like. Right.
1: Um, you, well, as I wanted to mention, there's shortly after when he's talking uh, on the Yorktown to uh, Commodore Paris. Yes. Is it? Uh, she has uh, some lines that I like, that also that kind of you know flow back to what he was saying, and I, and I jotted it down. Uh, she says, "There's no relative direction in the vastness of space. There's only yourself, your ship, your crew. It's easier than you think to get lost." Uh, you like that? I thought you would have yeah. been like that was too writerly. No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it, like it. These movies when they um, when they try for drama, they they get a little writerly, and then mm-hmm. I, I can like that. I like Star it Trek when,
2: in a nutshell. I think
1: right? I like it when they're sincere. If it's wink-wink, that's when it actually kind of annoys me. <laughs> and then she was clearly being sincere.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, no, I was all over it. Kirk
2: Kirk's birthday drink with McCoy. I love that scene. That whole, every part of that.
0: Yeah, y'all want to talk about the uh, the birthday drink. I love that he's drinking yeah. Sari and Brandy. Yeah, yeah. so shout out to Linus from Discovery <laughs> sorry but also um, the idea that Chekhov has whiskey in his locker which why did Dr. McCoy just like raid Chekhov's locker just like that seems like kind of like a dick ass
2: move that you would do like in yeah. you know, high school if anyone other than McCoy had done it I'd be annoyed but it was McCoy so I was yeah. kind of like okay with him
1: here's know? the thing I uh, he's he's a little bit of a scoundrel sometimes yeah. and also I can see him saying like Check off. I see you're looking around for something and not finding it. Uh, why don't you come down to the bar and I'll buy you a drink. I think he would, I think he's, he's an honorer honorable man when no he no comes bar. to the bar. What bar?
0: There's no bar on the, on the 1701 and no, everywhere. No, 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 there's
1: a fucking brewery in there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, bre- and, and by the way, that ship breweries is so,
0: make beer, not whiskey. Yeah. That, is, that, that
1: ship is so large, you cannot tell me that you know definitely there's
2: it's, not a bar. It's
0: so large that it has both a brewery and a distillery. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, we don't see the Scottie's brewery in Andrew this movie. Rooch, so. yes. Yeah. Well, we know Scotty's an
1: alcoholic. So. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think I think McCoy is going to pay him back at some point. Uh, McCoy is a guy who'll be a jerk, but he'll he'll like kind of like he'll he'll get sincere when he needs to.
0: I love the idea that this version of Kirk is kind of melancholy around his birthday
2: because that is the day that his, his paw bit that the your dust. That your paw bit
1: the dust. I love and that. And <laughs> that became all
2: the more important when old Spock showed up and said, you know, the day your paw bit the dust totally ruined your life and screwed up most of the rest of the Federation. Right. So it's kind of a really big day. <laughs> and this is also, if you do the math, this is in the year
0: 2263. So that would make this Kirk's 30th birthday, hmm. which can be a big deal for, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Pa- um, and he says this is the year that he'll be one year older than his dad ever got to be. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Uh, yeah, It's a, the, 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 here's you know the, the anchor of the movie, the emotional sort of anchor of it. Um, they call
0: back to the most important mm-hmm. emotional beat in this entire trilogy, mm-hmm. which was the
1: opening of Star Trek 09. Yeah. Well, there, there's yeah. there's there's different thematics in this movie about, like, um, uh, I, I don't know, I, I guess I'd say finding your place staying with you know sticking with things or that is to say Spock encounters the the mirror of this when when he finds out that ambassador Spock has died he's um, wanting to be transferred uh, well you know he wants to quit or to yeah, quit right. that's right and, and 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 neither of them will quite confess it to each other It's a slightly yeah. sitcomy thing where both well, people want to say something and neither will but but it's got some weight to it
0: yeah Kirk yeah. wants to take a promotion to okay I gotta complain about this. He wants to take a promotion to vice admiral, uh-huh. which I would have thought most people going to the movie would know this, but I I don't now that I think about it, like I'm probably wrong, but a vice admiral outranks a commodore, right.
1: So he's, like, uh, saying, I'd like let's... to take a... Uh, I'd like to just be transferred to become president. <laughs> like, I mean, you're saying, like, he was, like, kind of, like, a little presumptuous. Like, this,
0: this woman who's a Commodore is talking about, like, promoting him to <laughs> yeah, be, like, a, a higher rank than I her. her. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Like, like, yeah, it, yeah. like, when you go above Captain and you get into, like, the Admiral ranks, it goes... Um, Commodore, rear admiral, vice admiral, admiral, fleet admiral. Yeah. Right. So Commodore is like the lowest of the admirals, whereas yeah. Vice Admiral is like two ranks above that. Yeah. And that stood out to me in two thousand sixteen. I'm like, Oh my god, does Simon Pegg and Doug Jung and Justin Lin, all three of them not know this? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think I think yeah, that's probably is why they need a... Mike
2: Okuda or, you know, checking these scripts, Lower on but... their yeah, priority list. Um I did the it took me a while to come to terms with Kirk's, uh, angst or, 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 I don't know what you want to call it. No, it's definitely, it's definitely um, yeah. angsty. You, um, because I was like, we know Kirk is born to captain a starship. Why is he not loving it? But I eventually, yeah, I was like, okay, the thing is, is he, this Kirk is captaining a starship because he wants to be his dad. And now he's realized that they, that's not enough. He can't just be right. his dad. McCoy calls that out in the yeah, next line. Yeah. like, you've been trying to so, be. George it's, Kirk for so it's long. It's not so much what... that he wants to be a, cor- a commodore as he wants to chart his own path, and that just seems like the easiest way to strike out on his own. And right? what's more exciting than running basically a planet? So uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. So so um I, I kind of eventually made my peace with it that that he thinks this would bring him happiness, and well, and he doesn't know who he well... is. And by the end of the movie, he's found. No, no. This is
0: who I am. In the prime timeline, we know that at one point Kirk apparently wanted to be an admiral and accepted promotion. Yeah, and then learned to regret it, and then learned like, oh no, I was best nah. when I was in the captain's chair. Yeah, and then he fights to come back to the captain's chair. Eventually, he has to
1: break and, laws and, yeah. to stay and, in the, to be yes, demoted and, into and the yeah. captain's chair. And then chair. Like,
0: he finally gets there, and he's like, okay, now I I am what I'm what I am. Yeah, and this Kirk kind of has that same journey, but instead of taking from. Star Trek the Motion Picture to Star Trek the Voyage Home to get there he kind mm-hmm. of does it in one movie. Yeah.
1: Um let's uh let's quick talk about the Yorktown.
0: Yeah, so I was not a big fan of of the Yorktown station design just because it, my big problem with these movies, everything is so freaking big. Like it, it <laughs> like this, so the like, scale it, of these things is ridiculous. If, the, if you have not watched it stations, in a while
1: it is like a moon sized thing. It's it's like the uh, Uh, What is it, the Citadel in Mass Effect, but bigger? Yeah, I
0: mean, it looks cool, but it kind of makes the Starbase from the Star Trek movies or DS9 or any other space station we've ever seen. like It makes it look
2: like Skylab or Mir Some some like, rinky-dinky 20th century Well, they century never said station. that the space dock in the Star Trek Three was the biggest thing ever. They never said this is the, the... They never... And DS9 is a mine or processing station, so well, when I was, there's nothing that says that it has to be super big either. What I was thinking when I was watching this is
1: that this is clearly meant to be sort of a jewel of the entire Federation yeah Yeah. and and actually as a display of what can be accomplished with all these cultures working together and also would be a great target for eventually for uh crawl um the more i thought about it the more i kind of liked it uh, that it is a the the best of the federation and it does look cool the way that they have like the the gravity on different planes and, and like you can
0: be standing on the street and look up and you see like buildings looking down at you and That
2: stuff is pretty cool. And given that the alternative was crawl wants to destroy Earth, I'm so (laughs) glad we got Starbase Yorktown just for a sake of variety. Yeah, I
0: mean, that was my problem with the last two movies, is I thought they were spending too much time on Earth, and I was actually disappointed the first time I saw trailers for Star Trek Into Darkness and saw them having scenes set on Earth. I was like, get off of Earth, do some stuff in deep space, like, Star Trek tends to exist, even though all the movies except for except for Star Trek Insurrection has at least a glimpse of Earth. Yes, um, this is actually only the second movie where there is no Earth in the entire movie in yes. the Star Trek franchise. I also love that keep, we it, got, up. keep we it up. We got Star to Trek. see
2: a transporter booth. Which is uh, widely yeah. shown up in no, in novels and has always been theorized that they must have transporters oh. to get around big cities. And we, but we've never actually seen. We saw it in Star it, Trek Voyager when
0: Harry Kim woke up back on Earth with his, girl, with his girlfriend Libby. Oh, yeah, the and name? it was called. It's a,
2: like it was called like Trans Francisco. It was like the name of the transporter oh, booth. All right, okay. I, I don't even. Remember. I I've, most Voyager episodes I've only seen once, so oh. and, like that's one of them. But.
1: When they um, when was, they like, a arrive... season two
2: episodes, so it was a while ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: when <laughs> they arrive on uh, the Yorktown, there's there's two scenes that uh, kind of are heart- tug at the heartstrings. One for me was the simple happy scene of seeing Sulu and his husband, yeah, and, uh, and his daughter... daughter Demora. We know
2: her name from Star Trek Generations with right? Right? her stuffed Enterprise. Did you see the oh, stuffed didn't, constitution class? I did stuffed, you know, plush so, constitution class adorable. in her this, hands. The <laughs>
0: sin was actually something that George Takei fought against, because he said that he had always played Sulu as a straight guy, and mm-hmm. he didn't want it to, like, retcon that, oh, Sulu must have been, like, in the closet hiding his gayness, if he's actually a gay character. Right, and
1: clearly this was probably envisioned, because George Takei, you know, the actor is a gay man, and so there, there is yeah, a it was, little... Yeah, it was
0: intended to be, like, a tribute to him.
1: I can sort of... Understand it, but I, uh, you know, to me, they've been revising so many things well, in this movie. I, I, I can generally can't do what you guys do and and try and like no prize all of it. A lot of times, I'm just like, this was simply their new vision. They clearly wanted to do something a little bit different, and they're just using alternate timeline as a fake excuse.
2: Hi Karu, Hi ha, Sulu, Hi Sulu is by yeah. Right. That's
0: the explanation that when I heard that, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, yeah. I still don't like this moment. Which and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I think... It's it, so heartwarming. It is entirely... It's so wholesome. It's it's entirely way too chase that someone comes back and meets their spouse after being separated for what might have been years. And, and, like, and fuck them on the spot? No, it, <laughs> but like they don't kiss. They, don't, they just yeah. like do this. Yeah. Like if you're watching this on screen, I'm patting Dave on the back. Right. It's a it, little... Like that's it. It
1: feels a little bit like, yeah, they, they, they could have gone that extra that mile of just having them kiss...
0: It, it feels distracting to me because it feels like they wanted to play the super safe so that they could still release this in China and get that China box office money and not uh, offend the the Chinese censorship. So it's good, but it doesn't go far enough. It, no, yeah, it doesn't go far enough at all. all. Right, fair enough. It? To me, like it, it feels fake. It doesn't. It doesn't feel. It doesn't. To me, it doesn't feel like two spouses. Some people don't like, they could make out badly in, <laughs> in public. Like, like, Some yeah, people don't do that.
1: Their daughters there. They might not be demonstrative. Yeah. You no,
2: know, but they can still do just like a very simple like. Kiss, I think... Would have been I mean, f- I would prefer your version, but I've met people who wouldn't do that. So I, I, I'm kind of okay with it. After years of it. being apart, I don't know. It just seems... Yeah.
1: I want to see with more passion.
2: Yeah.
1: You wanted him to come out fencing with a, <laughs> his uh, husband? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> the other scene is, um, uh, is of course, uh, Spock finding out the, about the demise of his future self. And that's him. the one that
2: has a little detail that bugs me is that they say live long and prosper. and Spock says live long and prosper, and they don't say peace and long life. They just repeat live long and that's prosper. That's not the first time that happened though. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it bugs me every time it happens. And that's okay. that's what annoys me. <laughs> I guess I didn't know that that was like the, the standard counter response to that. Sometimes the peace and long life
1: comes first, in fact, I think. But, hmm. um, yeah, it's but, inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also
0: weird that the... I'm glad
1: I was able to enjoy both of those scenes, unlike you guys.
0: <laughs> I loved them. <laughs> it's weird that, like, the the dates of Kirk's... Um, I'm sorry, of Spock's birth and death are... Uh, 2230 and 2263. So, like, it looks like he was only 33 when he died. <laughs> yes. but of course, you got to factor in that, like, he,
2: like, went to the future and then came back in yeah. time and all that. Yeah, he's
1: lived but, a bit quite a bit oh, I, know. Yeah, really. uh, I actually, 33
2: I liked... is an important... Is an appropriate age for the Savior of the Federation to die? <laughs> so. God damn it.
1: I hate when they do this stupid Jesus.
2: Oh, thing. my God, yeah. It was a Jesus-y <laughs>
1: thing. You know, Spock 2 was resurrected. Yes. <laughs> um... God damn it. Um, Oh, you know, what I was going to say is uh, that that, that, the way that that was shot reminded me of how J.J. Abrams does shoot an emotional scene, though, where it was was fairly minimal dialogue. Spock, you you see what he sees. It's just the name. Uh, It's just, you know, clearly and a picture of his older self and a date. And that that, those few things tell you everything you need to know.
0: It was heartwarming for the audience because at the time we had just lost Leonard Nimoy like a year before this or two years before this. Mm -hmm. It was still fairly recent. And, uh, I guess the picture of Spock here, and then there's another picture of him at the end of the movie, but that's the, uh, the last, uh, appearance of, of Leonard Nimoy as Spock in Star Trek that we'll probably ever see. Right. Uh, is that was this, no,
1: this, it was not the picture that had the whole bridge crew.
0: In yeah, it. that comes later. That yeah. comes
1: later, right. Uh,
0: also just, I want to backtrack to the, uh, Sulu husband thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the husband was played by the co-writer of movie doug jung and one of the reasons why they used him is because they shot the Yorktown town scenes in dubai hmm. in the united arab emirates which is a much more homophobic part of the world hmm. where they do have like a pretty diverse population there and there there were some uh east asian actors that they probably could have found but not many people wanted to be playing an openly gay character. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, uh, well, the the guy that we have ro- co-writing the movie, he looks like he could be Sulu's husband and the co-father of Demora. So um, let's we'll just cast him. And it is, it is cool that, like, they gave them a, a daughter that might have been some, like, uh, future science type of uh, like splicing into their DNA to create like a same-sex couple
1: offspring. Who knows, or an yeah. adoption, or who knows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's they the, they uh,
2: don't they don't explain it, but there's different multiple ways they could go with that. As long as we're dwelling on these points, uh, the little green kid in the elevator in the the montage that sets up the oh, Yorktown. I hate is, him. That the green. That's the the son of the director. I I hate him because the first time I saw this, I thought
0: he was an Orion, and then I was like, oh no, he's just like some other made-up alien that they got. And and one of the things that the makeup people did on this movie was they said they wanted to create 50 new alien races in honor of the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Somebody was celebrating it. Thank God, makeup people. You know what would have been cooler than that? Is if they brought back Fifty established
2: alien races they in cer- celebration of Star Trek. They 50th certainly could have worked all fi- uh, all of the big major ones in there among the fifty. That certainly is true. But they didn't try to do that, and it yeah. would have been so much cooler if they had
1: yeah. Megato or I Riot.
0: Yeah,
2: like, yeah, so, I agree. A
0: lot of the a lot of these aliens, like they look fine, but to me, like they don't really look distinctive. Right, they just kind
1: of become background aliens. And when it would have been really cool to see some iconic ones. Um, yeah. um, oh, also
0: in Worktown Station, that's where we get the uh, Uhura and Spock breakup. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Spock is stressed out about his endangered species and thinks maybe he needs to be reproducing with Vulcans and making little Vulcan babies, as Dr.
1: McCoy would yeah. put it. I didn't uh, particularly like that plot point. I don't mind them breaking up. I just thought that was a slightly silly assumption that that's like what Spock needs to do when uh, with all their... All all the ways that that could... uh, You know, population could potentially happen by science. uh, You know, I just wouldn't assume, you know, a bang fest would be... (laughs) Well, there also
2: needs to be somebody to raise all those babies. So, yes, you can genetically engineer a whole bunch of Vulcan babies, I'm sure. It just doesn't
1: seem like the role that Spock would think, I'm suited
0: for Well, no, they they set up in Star Trek 09 that Spock feels obligated to dedicate himself to the uh, rejuvenation of the Vulcan race in some form. And, uh, Elder Spock, Spock Prime, tells Quinto Spock, hey, stay on the Enterprise. I'm here. We can be in two places at the same time. Yes. So now
1: that, uh. You think Elder Spock was off banging a lot of people?
0: Uh, I hope so. I mean, that'd be good for him.
1: <laughs> I mean, he's still.
0: Well, I How know, do you think was... he died? <Rome>. I mean, that this is five years after that, so the chances of him hitting Pon far okay. This, do we know if Pon far turns off? Let me think. Does he have? We he, can do the math on this. They're a- <laughs> well, he, he had, he had Pon far in what year? It was twenty two or yeah, twenty two sixty six. Yeah, it sounds so right. So if we factor in by seven, someone else do the math and tell us if he would have had a, a Pon far during the events between Star Trek 09 and this movie because the. the the math is there I like it, it can be it can be calculated <laughs> if he hit pond far or not
1: good good points yes. all well. good points all right let's get let's let's get these guys off your town station yeah. and get the enterprise wrecked so the, the, which by the way I noticed that just as in, in the Abrams movies and in Justin Lin's, just as the characters tend to take a beating and those with scars that'll last at that the thing the enterprise tends to take a beating and get its own scars or in this case utterly wrecked. I, I wish they hadn't changed the look of the enterprise for this movie like they made like the pylons
2: thinner and it looks it, it looks a lot different if you compare oh, I I thought it was uh, I guess I thought it was the same design it, it is subtly different. I did not notice it till someone pointed it out and showed before and after photos, so I was kind of like all right, so it's a little more extreme than what they did to the Enterprise-E between Star Trek Insurrection and Star Trek Nemesis, which that also is subtly redesigned, but again, you don't really notice.
0: That it. one I didn't notice with this one. I thought it something looked a little off, and I thought they were just maybe shooting it from different angles or something. That's what I figured. Because me. Justin Lin's cinematography with the ships is a little bit different, and sometimes I like it more. He also does like a different version of the warp effect when the ship is at warp,
2: Mm-hmm. I Which, love the, the shot of it charging through warp with all the stars warping around it. It
0: makes more sense where it looks like it's in like a bubble, like the, the warp field that these warp cores create, and it's kind of like cutting through space. It looks really um, cool. Yes. I, it, I should like this more. However, for whatever reason, I still prefer the weird Star Warsy hyperdrive tunnel that JJ used in the previous two movies.
1: It's hard to beat the speed that that conveyed.
0: Which is what Discovery ended up going with. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what they do on Star Trek Picard. But yeah, the, the inter- they, they go to investigate the nebula because they get a, a visitor who says her, her crew is stranded and then the ship is
2: attacked by the swarm Yeah, you said her translator's evil. What What's wrong with the translator?
0: I just don't like the
1: translator functioning differently than how we've ever seen it work. They gen- generally, on the show, they cut out the middleman of hearing... Their language, overlaid by English. You just hear the actors speaking English. I mean, I don't, English.
0: Like, I don't like hearing that. I feel like you don't connect to a character as well. When <sighs> Too you... much realism in your Star Trek? <sighs> Like, I in, in, in my mind, that's not how I think of the translators as working.
1: I think it, I, in my mind, that is how I think it works, but it's just that they shortcut, they do a shorthand for it.
2: Now, they do uh, imply that there's some sort of noise cancelling that wipes out the original audio from the person. So you Yeah, don't but then the they're, then you
1: should back. see their lips always out of sync. Yes, and, their lips should always just, be out of sync. Thank God they don't go as nuts as uh, that. <laughs> but I did, I, I just thought for kind of a change-up, since these movies like to do things a little bit different, throw their own style at it. Uh, I thought it was cool i i like really liked it
0: no that was one of the reasons why i i, I was not having a good time the first time i saw this <laughs> bro
2: i 'm straight up not having a good time <laughs> it's not 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 in continuity not realistic too realistic
0: <laughs> i'm i'm okay with with taking some um what do you call it uh uh I'm okay with suspending my disbelief
2: at times with Star Trek. Yeah. I'm fine with doing it, but I'm also... It's always nice when they get it right. Um, yeah, so a little, yeah. some
1: some token yeah. realism is actually sometimes nice yeah. because it, it makes it feel like it's more realistic than yeah. Star
2: Wars. Yes, yes. I did like the swarm ship, the, the swarm that comes up, because after all these Star Treks with big, bad warships as the enemy, something... Di- completely different, little bitty, tiny ships. Was a nice that completely danger. different? We did see a swarm in Voyager one time. Okay, but have we but... done it in any of the movies where they have the no, budget yeah. to do it right? Yeah.
1: No, I have to say when, the, when it when it clips off the nacelles and stuff like that, it looks really cool. Yeah, those are those are also just it was beautifully filmed. They mm-hmm. they really capture the drama. Of yeah. seeing a ship that you know is a yeah. you know an, an icon getting crippled, I, I will say if getting... they hadn't
2: trashed it in the previous two films, this would have been so much more meaningful of a scene. <laughs> yeah, the Enterprise gets beat up in the Kelvin movie. It can't yeah.
1: quite feel like yeah, like there, there, there's a there's a line a line or two that evoke Star Trek three and the loss of the ship and yeah. you know the, the the need to you know turn death into a fighting chance to live. But it just does not have the emotional impact even remotely. Well, totally there,
0: is, there is some emotional resonance in here. Um, and even like when Kral says, uh, cut its throat. Yes. And yeah. when, when you start seeing the swarm go through the pylon, yeah. I mean, not the pylon, but uh, the, uh, the neck, the the neck of the that. ship,
1: yeah. like you feel like they're killing the enterprise. yeah Well, you do and, see once again, a lot of people pulled out into space. They, they definitely in the Kelvin movies love pulling people out into space. Yes. Yeah.
0: They don't have those emergency force fields coming on. like <laughs> They need to, yes. um, there's a bit of a delay, I guess. It doesn't come on until like at least 15 people have been blown out. Yeah. Uh, the crawl and his attackers coming out of the Enterprise kind of rubbed me the wrong way the first time because they kind of look like, I don't know, bad guys out of a generic video game. They have like like the little like uh, blaster weapon on like their fist, and they'll just like their their generic armor. Whereas like the same CGI model for every one of them.
1: And just I mean, looks... it was cool looking armor, but I, I think you're right. It's a little yeah, they to moops. look gen- Generic. They're, though.
2: they're they're generic mooks in yeah. a video game. And, and they are. They're these drone robot drone things or whatever that have been manufactured on the planet. They're... Since
1: the big bad is going to be uh, a mystery, like the exact nature of what he's doing is going to be a mystery. Really, almost up until the last what. Fifteen minutes, ten yeah. minutes. Yeah, um, it sort of makes sense that they're a little faceless. Yes. Um, arguably, do, do we all agree that Idris Elba is not a great bad guy in this? He
2: is incredibly underused. Yeah, I I feel like there's another version of this script where they got more out of Idris because I've seen more out of Idris in other films. The actor we know is yes, talented. yes. So and somehow it feels like they what they ended up getting they could have gotten almost anyone to play that role.
1: This is this is Christoph Waltz Inspector uh uh types types type stuff the uh frustration i have is that every movie from star trek
0: nemesis on they all have to have a con ripoff for a villain one of them actually literally being a reimagined con and each one of them is just like the same thing it's just a guy who's really pissed off about something that happened in the past and he's out to get revenge and so, I, I think, I think crawl is probably the worst of those
2: four. I guess he, he's, he's created a mental landscape in his head that it's not revenge, though. The Whereas filmmaker's... Nero is absolutely, yeah, it's revenge. And, and, uh, Cod is like, yeah, it's revenge. Uh, uh, Kral thinks he's Fixing humanity. Yeah, but it's also he thinks he's saving humanity. The filmmaker out of his, that his too. bitterness, yeah. out of like his bitterness for yes, what yes. happened to him. It's absolutely revenge underneath. The audience can see that, but he has created. I, a
0: he could have been. He could have been the best of the four con yeah.
2: ripoffs, yeah.
0: but instead he comes off as the worst of the four. You know, con it's funny, rip-offs.
1: Father. I read some behind the scenes stuff where the where Justin Lin and the scriptwriters. Thought that they were really distinguishing him. They're like, we're not going to do vengeance with this one. Yeah. He's a guy who has a, a philosophy, and maybe it's a distorted philosophy, yeah. but you'll you'll get to see it. And I think it works up to me about as well as getting the philosophy of the Klingons in the first season of Discovery. I was about to bring that which up, which is yeah. to say, but I don't think they, it really came. They through. did it better. Yeah. I think the Discovery
0: Klingons and like Takuvma and his yeah. objective because yes. it's very much the same thing of like, okay, the Federation is is pushing out into space. They're seeking out new worlds, new civilizations, all of that. They're exploring. This is the part where the frontier pushes back. We don't like your idea of the Federation. We don't like all these different clans coming together and holding hands and kumbaya. We hate that. We think that the strength comes from confrontation and survival of the fittest. And I think Discovery Season 1, I'll admit it wasn't perfect in the way it told that story, but it did a better job of that than Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. And I actually said that when we were discussing... Star
1: Trek Discovery. I said this is doing a bit, a bit of the Beyond <laughs> stuff, but better. Yeah, I think I think as a thematic, it's a great idea, but because we don't yeah. know what's motivating him it, until the very end, it doesn't it doesn't hold a lot of resonance throughout the movie. It's the antithesis <laughs> of Star Trek, right? What, that is to say, he, is, his goals. You mean? Yeah. Are, yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. He's a, he he is antithetical to Star Trek. He he thinks that uh, like as the opposite of bo- Idrick, right? Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. Yes.
0: Uh, and even like his swarm ships, like the way that they work, is like. All these things come together and conform to one voice, one way of thinking, one yeah. one command. And when they they sever that, they, they defeat the swarm. Yeah. Whereas, like the the Edic philosophy, the infinite diversity and infinite combinations philosophy would be like: here's a bunch of different things that can work together, but also still. Yeah, can
2: you know be individuals separately? Even and
1: even the Beastie Boys can yes. live through these. And, men- and they uh, illustrate
2: yeah. that nicely. It's a very much a team effort to save the Feder save Yorktown at the end. Everybody's working together. Even Greg Gunberg or Grunberg or whatever yeah. is you know all these people are working together to save the Yorktown. Now there is a certain irony with Crawl. Uh, he is all about the the individuals striving and you know. But he uses not one big ship. He uses hordes of ships working together in it as a team. <laughs> and he says we must protect humanity from airy lead influences. Has he looked in a mirror? He <laughs> is soaked with alien DNA. Well, he
0: does literally look in a mirror. Yeah. And,
2: towards the end <laughs> yeah, of the movie, yeah. and it does kind of yeah. Play but with but, that. but uh, so I love the irony that he's like, no, we can only survive by being pure, and there's like nothing pure about it. Everything yeah. he says is bullshit. I wish and that I love that 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 it's all a lie. And, but and they they should, I wish they that they've dream- done something with that. Right. I yeah.
1: wish it was drawn into like a starker contrast, was- or like or like the drama of it was heightened. I guess. Yeah. Because I think um, it's a potent idea, but I just I just don't don't feel like I like it was all necessarily there on the screen, other than yeah. kind of what what we read in not read into it. It was it was there. Well,
2: but, given that they can't spoil the surprise till the end, you 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 kind of have to you know if they're going to tell the story that way, they can't spend too much time dwelling on yeah. it at the last fifteen. minutes. I honestly minutes think
1: I would have if I were making this. I think I would have spoiled it earlier, just like you know yeah. at the two third yeah. mark instead of the yeah. Uh, instead of having mark.
2: having like the big surprise of John Harrison being Khan, like they didn't yeah, start in yeah. the darkness. I did like <laughs> that it turns out to be a crazy Starfleet captain as the bad guy. That's so <laughs> That's classic, <very> Trek. TOS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Let's talk about like the actual like crash onto the planet uh, U- Ultimate. Yeah, yep. And I like that they call the escape pods Kelvin pods now, and it it allows them to drop in the word Kelvin, which JJ has in every movie that. He directs, and so <laughs> this being like part of like I guess like the J.J. Trek franchise, sure. it's still it's still like produced by him. I feel like they threw that in there for him, yeah. so that was cool. But then like uh, Kirk, like watching the Enterprise uh, burn up and mm. crash, and the the score, the Michael uh, Giacchino score that mm. we we mention mentioned in every one of these movies we talk about is so strong. And, um, it actually like, I still prefers star Trek three and the destruction of that enterprise that I have more attachment oh, yes. to because there's 79 episodes and two well, previous it's movies out Kirk but
2: cares about, has shown that he loves that ship. Yes. Whereas this Kirk has never yeah. really shown that he cares what ship he's in charge but, of. But I mean, this Kirk did die for that ship in the previous
0: movie, but yeah. they kind of, he
2: died for the crew. Right. I mean, they yes. make that,
0: they make that pretty apparent. Yeah. But, um, and then on the planet itself, the characters are separated. We have uh, Kirk and Chekhov doing their own thing, and they're actually with the uh, alien lady, mm-hmm. uh, Kalara, mm-hmm. who ends up betraying them. But I love how Kirk and Chekhov were onto her, and
2: they... It's pull super... So I really like rethink. how they
1: play it, um, where we don't know for sure... And it's another one of those scenes where the hero seems smart.
2: Yes. I, uh,
1: even, uh, also, even though, there is, a frankly, just a cool visual of Kirk sliding down the whole of the uh, Enterprise or the saucer section yeah. and blazing away with a phaser. <laughs> Total action movie. But I'm just... I, I was bludgeoned, as I sometimes am with these movies, until uh, that was cool. Now, one of the things I liked about
0: J.J.'s previous two movies is I thought he did a good job of... Not making it feel like the heroes luck out, where they kind of, if anything, like, they have very bad luck. And, right. You know, the, the they fact, have to really struggle. The sequence of of Kirk and Sulu on the drill in Star Trek 09, it's kind of just, like, going from the the frying pan to the fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, shit keeps getting worse and worse when, like, the guy at the explosives dies, mm-hmm. and then Sulu is uh, lands wrong with, like, his parachute, and... Mm-hmm. Kirk is in danger, and the, like the Romulan guards are attacking them, and uh, you and you feel like they really have to struggle to to get out of that. In this movie, I kind of feel like characters luck out a little bit, like mm-hmm. especially when Kirk is aiming for the what the combu- combustion compress- compressor, yeah, and he's supposed to aim for the uh, circle thing, but instead he aims for the square thing, mm-hmm. but. Luckily, he hits the circle. I, I, like that kind of stuff, kind of like bothers me. But it it was played as like a gag,
2: and I guess it's kind of funny. But I don't know. I I, I want them more competent in this movie. I want I don't want them to be the bumbling cadets that yeah. they were in the first. I want them to be. Hey, look, these guys can really get some shit done. They've got their act together. It's, they've got their mojo. Watch them kick it. And it's they also mostly
1: do like like I, yeah. I really like like the pairing of. Uh, Spock and McCoy, which yeah, is like an emotional them, story, like when they get into that alien fighter craft and mm-hmm. the hatch is open and the two
0: aliens that are in there get sucked out, yeah, and the hatch just so happens to close before Spock right. it's and another McCoy, lucky break. and then they're able to like figure out how to pilot the thing. I don't, it just, it feels like they're getting like really
2: lucky, really fast. Oh no, I'm just they're badasses. <laughs> they've been in three years of adventuring in space. Do you know how much XP that is? So. <laughs> but I, I do love a
1: lot of the, the Spock and McCoy stuff when they crash on the planet. and Well, it's a great because they get to have a sort of heart-to-heart while still sparring with each other. But Spock is literally physically hurt. Um, you know, one of the things I like in there is like when he tells him, when Spock confesses that uh, Ambassador Spock died. And McCoy just drops all the pretenses and he's just like, I'm so sorry, Spock. Yeah, uh, just, just, just McCoy is the leading heart. He's, he's, he's the he's the compassionate guy. Yeah. Yep, and yet he is the guy who said <laughs> talked about Kirk's paw biting the dust yes. <laughs> I, I, because he's he's clumsy too. Yeah.
0: Well, no, I think he just knows like you don't you don't talk about things like that like super seriously around Kirk. He yeah, right. he he wants to keep things like kind of like laxed yeah. and casual, right?
2: He thinks that's what Kirk needs, probably. Yeah, yeah. I love. That they gave Anton a bunch of scenes with Kirk, yeah, just because that's his last movie, right. And and the end, and and it's wonderful that he got a very strong movie to go out on, Absolutely. relative to what his yeah he got a lot to do. They yeah. they
0: kind of gave you Uhura, Uhura and Sulu the least to do, yes.
1: I mean, they still get to do a little sort of failed breakout, and they're but mostly they're there for exposition because of, yes. of
0: Keenzer's stupid acid snot,
1: which <laughs> yeah. I got to give
0: them credit. I did not see that coming back as a Chekhov's gun when they first set that up earlier in the movie. <laughs> so I guess good job there, but it's still kind of a stupid idea.
2: Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do we have, have, have... A- some aliens have acid blood. That's well worked into sci-fi <laughs> at this point. Uh, Scotty
1: and uh, what's what's her name?
2: Uh, we get the character Jayla. Jayla, yes, yes.
0: yeah. Yeah, she's introduced uh, Saving Scotty from the Three Scummers. Yeah. Which, this is the thing that bothered me, is when we see those three assholes, I was like, it would have been a lot cooler if they just used three established alien races. Like, you could have, like, the the little guy who's kind of talking shit to Scotty, they could have had a Ferengi for him, and then the two big guys could have been, like, a Ferengi,
2: or I'm sorry, a, a Klingon and a Nausicaan. It would have been a lot cooler. I would have gone with aliens that... Officially weren't part of the original series because this is way out on the frontier or something. So Ferengi, Cardassian had some fun with it, you know. The, the,
1: I would totally. But, I, I really
2: wish they would have done that. But and, and given 50th anniversary, nostalgia button hit it. 50th anniversary, keep it and the nostalgia <laughs> button. That would uh, what have was fun. what was her name again? J Lo. I, I did like her character. Yes, there were jokes about her being inspired by J Lo. <laughs> Or I thought it was from um, J Law Jennifer Jay, Lawrence. Oh, Jennifer. Yeah, you're right. Jennifer Lawrence. That was right. Yeah.
1: So I think uh, first of all, she's it she is a visually striking design. I like. I really like the sort of the. Uh, I guess I don't know if it's supposed to be tattooing or or actual like yeah. skin markings, but uh, personally, why she struck me as being actually a little bit like Lilu from the Fifth Element. She had the kind of the unusual manner of speech and a little bit of innocence about what they were doing, but at the same time, she was cool. also a hardened survivor. Yeah, and she got, almost feels a little bit
0: like Rey from the Other Star franchise, where she's <laughs> just like, you know, she just grew up in, like, the remains of this old, familiar ship that the audience will know something about, but she lived on, like, this junky planet with a bunch of of scoundrel aliens and yeah. was a tough girl who could survive like that. And fought right. with a pole. Yeah.
2: <laughs> he used a fighting staff
0: that was made um, out of junk. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's she's been living on the USS Franklin, which... I love the design of the Franklin. I love that the computer consoles all have like this old-looking green light to them that you know kind of reminds you subconsciously of like uh, how computer monitors or Game Boy screens all stuff like used <laughs> to be green. Yeah. Um, it, it, it helps you keep in mind it was like an older ship. When I first saw this, I didn't like it because I was trying to figure out how could there be. An NX ship that was Warp 4. So it was the first Warp 4 ship, so it would have had to come before the NX-01 that Jonathan Archer had in the 2150s, where they said the ship was lost in the 2260s. This is one of the things I struggled with watching the movie for the mm-hmm. first time. I've,
2: I've since found mm-hmm. a way to reconcile all that stuff. I will say, of all the Kelvin movies, this is the one that I find benefits from repeated close watching. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of little things, little lines, little... Beats uh going on in this film that I didn't catch the first few times I watched. Whereas I feel like the first, the, the JJ films kind of get dumber the closer attention I pay to them. <laughs> this tends to be a bit more enriching. I'm not going to say it's a brilliant or clever movie, but it definitely, there's more going on. Every time I watch it, I see a, l- a few more little touches that I missed last time. Mm. And mm. I appreciate the fact that there's, there's like, oh, that, that's kind of cool, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Little visual flourishes and stuff like that that I didn't see.
0: I, I gotta explain, like, my theory on the USS Franklin. Okay. Is that it does predate Archer's Warp 5 x one but the reason why it has, like, the NX-326 registry mm-hmm. number is because it was... Like, reincorporated back into the fleet, either during, like, the Earth-Romulan War... Yeah. ...which would happen shortly after Enterprise, or when the Federation was formed in the 2160s... Yeah. ...before the ship was lost.
2: Is it an so, NCC or an NX number? It's NX, but
0: okay. it's NX-326. Okay. But, I don't know. Registered numbers might all be bullshit. There's actually mm. some evidence to support that they don't actually make sense. They make less but sense than dates. that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that
1: seems like a reasonable uh, bullshit yeah. theory. But yeah, I'm fine with that.
0: Also, I like Scotty suggesting that it, uh, one of the theories of why it disappeared was it might have been grabbed by a giant green space hand. Yes. Uh, <laughs> obvious TOS reference. Which we see <laughs> again in the credits. Yes, that, and uh, I love that. Is yeah. that
1: uh, Who Mourns for Aeneas? Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and they also mentioned
2: that, uh, yeah, the ship might have been uh, captured by Romulans. They might have surrendered to Romulans. So that was,
0: that was cool. Which
2: would imply that they were probably sent out somewhere in the Romulan area of space where, when it disappeared. Somewhere near that. Otherwise, yeah. you know. But uh, the
0: the uh, heroes on the Franklin decided to go rescue the rest of the crew from
1: Crawl Because Kral is, is chasing after this, this... There's a bunch of big action sequences that define the end of the, the last, I don't know, 45 minutes... There's a big rescue, there's a big space battle, and then there's a big Yorktown showdown. What about the, the artifact that crawls after? What's the name of that? I said it earlier. And, but... uh, and an Anoth or something like that? Azeroth, I Astaroth.
2: <laughs> I don't know either. It sounds Scottish, but it's the Abernoth. Abernoth. There we go. Yeah. I was missing the B. But the uh It's a MacGuffin, but it only does one thing. It kills people, so it's yeah. not like red matter or those freaking torpedoes but it from into darkness. It doesn't
0: look as cool as the red matter and like how it kills people. And it's yes. not really explained what it's doing, but yeah. it's just like it's a total like doomsday device.
1: Yeah, it looks like evil nanites. And yeah. it is
0: the, the motivations of Crawl is kind of weird here in that um, he he does want to get revenge for being stranded on this planet by showing that humans shouldn't actually be exploring; they should be fighting the aliens like they did back in his day. When uh, I love that he references the Zindi and the
2: Romulans, yeah. which means that. Edison was probably on board Archer's ship, if we yeah. take this at face value, in, during Season 3 of Enterprise.
0: Yeah, because uh, that was the only ship that we know of that actually, like, encountered Zindi forces. So yeah. he could have easily been a Mako on the NX-01. Yes. And then fought in the Romulan War a yeah. few years after Enterprise, because the show got canceled before Manny Cotto could show us the Romulan War. And I'm still bitter <laughs> about it. <laughs> Sniff. But then after that, he becomes a captain on the Franklin to go and explore stuff, but he doesn't really like being an explorer, and it doesn't work out well for him when he gets stranded on a planet, and so he turns into a mean asshole, who conveniently has alien technology that allows him
1: to uh, stay, stay alive young. and destroy yeah. other starships. <laughs> he should really be, he should be, uh, I, I mean, I guess he's, his thought would be that, uh, like, not this this alien technology, like... Which he's making use of, is not human technology, right. but I think he's like, we should conquer them and take their technology the same way I lucked into this We, we gotta talk about Ensign
0: Sill, who had the, uh, the artifact, the Abernoth, hidden in her... Like, the back of her head is like an alien hugger.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and um, she had it under the face hugger paws. Yeah, she's yeah. like
0: a crab head, and I don't know, like, part of her design really rubs me the wrong way, and a lot yeah. of these aliens just... I don't know. I don't really like them. They're I like, love them. I you love got them. one great. guy in a starfleet uniform who looks like Feratu. I'm almost like, is he a reimagined <laughs> Riemann? <laughs> you
1: know, in and of themselves, I, I like them. The, I, I think they mostly look better than the average background aliens in, say, Star Trek IV at the you know at the council and stuff like that. But but yeah, like obviously, I, I think um, I, I would have liked to have seen some of the aliens we know what would have been cool. In Star Trek IV,
0: you can be like, well, that's an Andorian. That's a Cation. That's a Tellerite. I like that. Here, I'm like, that's a Crab Head. That's a Lizard Head. That's uh, another Lizard Head.
2: As a, Nuss- a- rock as a 50th anniversary movie, I fully support the idea of including the classic Aliens. I've also liked these aliens. I can't say I I, I hated them. They were fun, too, and interesting. I I thought they were... And I also have a problem with, like, some of the, the new alien
0: species we see in the background on Discovery. I don't really like those. I don't know. Just to me, like, they're not as, like, distinctive and unique and stand out like a lot of the Michael Westmore Creations that I grew up on with Star Trek in the 80s and 90s.
1: Let's remember that Star Trek also had a horrible tradition of just weird foreheads. (laughs) Yeah, I prefer scores and scores and scores of. I, I prefer
0: the weird foreheads over just like generic lizard person.
1: I don't think you can quite say they're a generic. If, that's, there's not, if there's that's, nothing, that's some guys worked hard to make those generic if lizards. There's no, no, there. If
2: there's nothing like distinctive and memorable about it, it's generic. I, I think you're getting a little hostile for a show whose mandate is seek out new life. Yeah, father, <laughs> it can be new, but it's, it's weird,
1: I mean, it's it's weird saying, to a me to like to to prefer uh, like like a uh, another weird forehead ridge to a lizard no, man. You even if it's I, a you generic lizard what? You know what I, I prefer the most though is seeing a fucking Tellerite. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm you, you just said that to get me on board. Yeah. <laughs> Did it work? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh. So, so let's 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 quick run through our action sequences. We got Kirk on a motorcycle. Yeah, he's the distraction.
0: They they use like the holographic technology. Cheesy or cool.
1: Um this is one of the I I didn't like the
0: way this was shot that much because it kind of gets a little too fast and furious. A little too shaky, <laughs> too, a little too shaky cam, a little too like like quick shot cutaway type of cinematography. Yeah, pretty
2: that, that clear. I think they're me trying the to way. show the chaos that it feels if you happen to be the bad guys. Because there's all well, these different Kirk's on all these different motorcycles. It doesn't. Right, we had to be able to bother the, me too much.
1: Yeah. We had to be able to buy into the notion that a handful of people could distract this really well prepared, you know, force, yeah. force uh, enough to to get accomplish their goals. Yeah. And
2: given that it was flashy and showy, but it was supposed to be because it was a distraction. So was I'm, I'm fine like... with them
0: using a motorcycle. When I first saw it in the trailer, I was like, oh, no, this reminds me of the Star Trek Nemesis student buggies. <clears throat> you no, know, I like this much more. It makes complete sense there would be a motorcycle on the USS Franklin. It's not that different than uh, if I can talk about Babylon Five, Garibaldi building
2: a motorcycle on, on yeah. Babylon Five. Well, I'm, they so, might not have hover vehicles at the time of Enterprise. Right? Yeah, that, I mean, that might not be a thing yet. They might still have to use wheeled vehicles for exploring planets.
0: Yeah, that's only like a hundred and forty something years from now. So yeah, it's like not that. It's not that insane that someone might have a motorcycle.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but. Uh, it has been brought to my attention that that motorcycle sequence is very similar to something that happens in the sixth Fast and Furious movie, which I haven't seen, so I can't comment. on. Did that on. come out before or after this? I don't.
1: I don't. I know. think it was before because I think the fifth one was in like twenty eleven yeah. or maybe twenty twelve. I think there was enough, definitely enough time for the sixth one to have okay. hit. Weird thing is, I've seen that movie, but um, I don't particularly remember mm. the motorcycle thing they're talking about.
0: That's surprising, because you have such a keen memory. What a
1: fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but we get uh, Jayla like rescued by Kirk when uh, they do like that cool little transporter thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think some people might even complain about that, but I kind of like it. You know that's arguably a lucky thing, Fathery. Uh, that um, a lucky break that they got transported in the split second they
2: needed to to not wipe. But off. it was timed. It was okay. Yeah, I'm gonna hit the thing. Yeah. You beam me as yeah. soon that, as you that, see that the works, light. That works with the, like the technology. Yeah. So, so it's back like, yeah, to this is their third. T- the movie, they're they're badasses the, now. Yeah. They they've learned. Their... I'm
1: mostly. I was down with it. I I, I, I think I liked that sequence. We get the, okay. the
0: the USS Franklin back in the air, and then we have the uh,
2: battle with against the swarm and the Beastie Boys yes the first time Star Trek has a climax that is also a musical number <laughs> Who ever thought we would get that it is so Doctor Who it took me a while to get used to it but it actually really
0: works it is and yeah. if, if you lean into it you'll have fun with the sequence
1: I do think that you have to lean into it yes. and I think the first time I saw it I was kind of a little on the edge at that point uh, but overall, just enough on board that it ended up winning me over. It looks I so kind of cool. wish they had done Public Enemy, Fight the Power, <laughs> from earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah, just
0: to break it up from the, the constant reuse
2: of Beastie Boys. But that but, term, that that song, is perfect for what they're yeah. doing thematically. It's the, so, I can see so
1: ridiculous they... and cool when they, uh, right in the uh, sequence, when the, what? <laughs> uh, sequence of the <laughs> yeah, movie. But, when they light yeah. up, like, the whole station turns on the, the, the song, trans- and they just wreck the shit. Yeah of the whole fleet.
2: Uh, it was and like...
1: When, when the Franklin is like going... through <laughs> like,
2: six, is that yes, where... Yes. I think what oh, you're uh, uh, It was like a re- the ultimate... What I'd always wanted a Doctor Who movie to end like that. Yeah. If I ever did a $200 million Doctor Who movie, I'd want it to end with something like that. <laughs> when the Franklin is going through like that tunnel of the swarm ships and they're all yeah. just like
0: exploding. Yeah. It looks pretty cool. Yes. That's what these Kelvin movies do best is visuals like that. They, yeah. They still feel functional within the Star yeah. Trek universe. But... I don't know, do we have anything to really say? I guess it's cool how they play around with the gravity and stuff, but, like, the final confrontation between
2: Kirk and Crawl, I... I got a a little little lost in the techno babble of it all, even after watching it multiple times as to why do they have to pull this and then get sucked out or this, whatever. It's a little anticlimactic. Like, it's not as cool. I guess it's exciting
0: with Kirk being in danger and then that last-minute save from McCoy and Spock. But it does feel not as cool as what we just saw with, like, the, the Franklin... Chasing down Crawl into Yorktown Station. It's meant
2: to be the character moment where we finally see Crawl as we know him to be, Edison. Edison and Kirk interacting. I'm not sure if it quite sells it though. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be the personal moment where we get down focus and get to see those personal Edison versus Kirk and who they are and their ideologies play out. I don't know if they quite get that. I
1: think though. I felt much more connected with the, uh, like the upbeat emotional connections of the Kirk's birthday that follows that, yeah. Uh, and then I, I, like then I did they, with the bad guy showdown. Uh, whereas, like, say with Wrath of Khan, obviously this this is a best case scenario. But like right. all the final showdown with him, and then the you know the death of Spock and stuff, absolutely like emotionally tumultuous. Um, that's a best case scenario. Um, but yeah, here I, it was like the Mond, I was kind of like get to the get to the back to the crew. I want to see the crew again.
0: <laughs> and I like that they they end with like the the toast. From Star Trek Three to Absent Friends, also from Star Trek Nemesis. Yeah, that Dave you researched for us—that's apparently a naval tradition. Oh, often, right, often done on Sundays. Yep, and uh, it's interesting that they cut from that to a close-up of Anton Yelchin as Chekhov, mm-hmm. which <laughs> was the
2: only change they made. Had time to make to the film after he died. Yeah, because he because he died between the shooting of this movie and the the release of the movie. Yeah. And the movie's actually. But it also dedicated... nicely is
1: like a, it works as a hat tip as well to uh, to Spock and uh, to to Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, you
0: know. and the movie is dedicated to uh, Leonard Nimoy and Anton Yelchin in the credits. But yeah, I like seeing their civilian clothes. It's very um, kind of you know Star Trek Three clothes, or even even a little like Disco McCoy from the motion <laughs> picture. Um, yeah. And then they 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 end up building the new uh, Enterprise A, which they, they
1: show it as a time lapse, which I thought was cool.
0: Yeah, I kind of hate that they hit the reset button and just ships are disposable, and you can just crash a, a starship on Star Trek anytime and
1: just get a new one. Yeah. Uh, to I, be fair they've been setting that up for? They, they've been doing that kind of for years. In the, yeah, in the, I just I don't weeks. I don't
0: need more of that. I think that's that card's yeah. been played enough.
1: I think, but I think the time lapse build of uh, the Enterprise uh, is kind of what made the scene cool. It's it's a little bit flashy, but um, it was so it was a version of the Enterprise construction we'd never seen before. So yeah, I I still kind of and and then they do the outro. what do you call it? The Captain's... The Captain's Oath, apparently. The Captain's apparently. Oath.
0: But they use everyone.
1: But yeah, everybody gets a line. I like that. No, they had never done
0: that before, and I like that idea. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a, it's a a cool one. And I guess we can assume that uh, not only does Kirk ten- turn down his promotion, but Spock maybe stays as part
2: of the crew. They don't establish that, though. Well, he recites the Oath. I think we can assume he's on the ship. <laughs> I
1: don't know. Maybe he recited the Oath from New Vulcan. But yeah, my assumption was he's on the ship.
0: And we don't really know if if him and Uhura's relationship gets patched back up, which I would be fine if they stay broke up and that'd be, I,
2: that'd be I, fine I, by me. But I think Trek needs more ongoing relationships, not yeah. just relationship. The, of the, the fact
1: is that they don't, they haven't really done it too much. And like in general, like, like at least in TOS, no bridge crew ever had any serious romances. Uh, nobody on the ship, uh, like other than NPC type characters, ever did so i still wanted to stick around a bit too um if they do another movie if tarantino gets this movie or somehow by some miracle well, there's just a regular another movie uh i think the tarantino one is much more likely i I'd, I'd want him to still be doing it in either of them
0: so say the tarantino movie gets made but tarantino is a big fan of star trek 5 and he decides to pair scotty and Uhura <laughs> together
1: uh yeah sure i don't i
0: don't like that coupling either as
1: long as uh as long as uh zoe saldana does a fan dance or whatever i guess i'll i'll give it a shot that would be uh, i don't know not
0: to be ageist but i i think that'd be much more appealing than michelle nichols one
1: you're a jerk you're uh, ageist (laughs) i'm sorry
0: but uh, yeah i think that wraps up not only our, our star trek beyond conversation but also our journey through all 13 star trek movies
1: been a long road getting from there to here. Yeah.
0: Well, you had to ruin it by throwing in an enterprise <laughs> reference.
1: <laughs> I just happened to say those words. The fact that you put them to music in your head is you. It's on you.
2: I, I would like to say thank you for allowing me to be part of this journey. Oh it's yeah, pretty, happy to have you. Yes,
1: you are. You have a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> It was good having you here, uh, voicing some opinions, even if they're wrong. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a lot
0: more fun than me just listening to Dave say dumb shit (laughs) and then having to correct on the entire Uh, time. Yes, I bring all new dumb shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we still have more dumb shit to talk about uh, in the future. We are going to go on a brief hiatus. I am actually going to go on vacation for a couple of weeks, but we will be back, I believe, September 22nd. And uh, we will be talking about the state of the Star Trek franchise in the wake of the 53rd anniversary, and what the future of Star Trek has in store with the merger between CBS and Viacom going forward, and also with all the shows and development and movie possibilities. Uh, There's a lot to talk about, so definitely uh, come back, check us out, and we will go over the state of the franchise with you.
1: Sounds pretty awesome. I'm down for it. There, I'm sure there'll be some announcements between now and then. Yeah, and
0: any, yeah. of course any news between now and then. But let us know what you think about not only Star Trek Beyond and the Kelvin Star Trek movies, but all the Star Trek movies. We'd love to hear your feedback and be part of the conversation. And uh, let us know what you think about the Star Trek developments, uh, the possibilities of the CBS merger, and all of that going forward. And until next time,
1: live, live long, long and, and prosper, prosper, y'all. y'all.
0: Thank all of you so much for checking out this installment of Text Trek. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please be sure to like our YouTube videos and subscribe to our channel. Uh, audio only versions of episodes are available at our website, www.text trek.com. Uh, please check out our site, especially if you just want an audio only podcast. Uh, we have that available for you. Y'all can also keep up with us online. You can follow us on Twitter, at TXTREK, or you can uh, check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash text-trek. Please, by all means, let us know what you think by dropping a comment anywhere you see fit. Uh, We definitely want to hear your feedback. Let us know what you liked and what you would like to see more of, what you would like to see differently going forward. If you want to email me directly, uh, go ahead. I can be reached at fatheryactual at
1: text-trek.com. Thank all y'all again. Take care.